This is now my third Sunday here at Piedmont Community Church, and I just have to uh, thank you for your very warm welcome. I have definitely felt um, your encouragement as I have begun this new ministry. Of course, this ministry uh, is a little different than ones I've had in the past. Uh, I've never started a new church ministry uh, while a pandemic is going on, so it's a little different. But I've been trying to meet with people attended a number of small groups and have really enjoyed those. Uh, so I want to encourage you if, you, if you would like to meet me, if you'd like to have a cup of coffee over Zoom or uh, invite me to your small group, I would love to do that and get to know you. So the invitation's open. Um, please, if you'd like to do that, let me know. So today we are continuing this series of sermons on um, the book of Philippians, and we're in Chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will tur turn out for my deliverance. And now Paul lets us see his interior life a little bit. Very interesting verses. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that, that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am go to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would take uh, these words from Scripture and the meditations of my heart and speak to us a clear word this morning. Um, as we take another step forward in our walk with you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 
So this now, as I said, is the third sermon in a series of sermons on the book of Philippians. And we began the book in the first uh, sermon by asking the question, how can we remain confident? How can we remain, uh, be unshakable during the dark days of our lives? More than that, is it even possible to maintain, to have joy and peace, which the Christian life speaks of, even during the most turbulent times of life? We see in this passage today that Paul is not in the best of circumstances. And that's why we're really taking a look at Paul and asking, how does this guy do it? Because he is not in the best of circumstances. Remember, he is in prison awaiting execution, possible execution. He is far away from friends. He is worried about his life's work, his ministry being undermined by detractors in the church. He had all kinds of reasons to be discouraged and to be down. And yet, as you read this letter, there's not a hint of that. In fact, it is a letter of encouragement full of encouragement from Paul to this church in Philippi. He had all kinds of reasons to be down, and yet, he's not. He's not uptight. He's not anxious. He's not discouraged. Instead, he seems very relaxed and confident. Courage, courageous, and probably most surprising of all, even though he is in prison, Paul is remarkably free. And you really see that in this passage. We're not going to focus on this today, but Paul is debating. You see his inner thoughts about his own death. And he holds it very loosely. He said, you know, I'm okay either way. If I go and be with Christ, that's okay. If I stay with you, that's okay. He's free. Completely free. And so you read this book, and I want to Again, encourage you, read it in all its entirety. And it's only natural to ask the question, how does this guy remain so upbeat when everything seems to be going so wrong? You see, that question comes to my mind because my guess is that most of us don't deal with adversity, you know, very well, at least not like Paul. When things go wrong, it is very easy to start asking a certain set of questions. The questions go like this. Where are you, God? Why don't you take this pain away? Why is this happening to me? If you really love me, this wouldn't be happening. Sometimes we even look at our relationship with God kind of in a quid pro quo manner, like, God, I have been faithful. Why don't you hold up your end of the bargain? Why is this happening to me? But Paul doesn't ask any of those questions. He has a completely different set of questions. And so it's worth looking at him and asking, how does he do it? How does he rise above the circumstances, the not-so-good circumstances of his life? Well, we've been taking a look at some different keys to this, and we see some more today. It seems, here's one key, fairly evident from this passage that Paul has tremendous confidence in God's ability to take a bad situation and to bring good out of it. 
my guess is that this is a learned confidence. We don't get this kind of confidence in God's goodness. We don't gain this kind of trust in God right away. But by this time in his life, Paul has been through so many experiences. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been run out of town by a mob. He's been imprisoned on numerous occasions. And through it all, Paul has learned that God can be trusted even in the most difficult circumstances of life. He has learned the very important lesson that everything in our lives does not have to be perfect or even good in order for God to work. That when difficult times come, it's not a sign that God is abandoning us. In fact, friends, I have to say, I think it is a sign that God may be doing some of his best work in our lives during the difficult times of life. And Paul is sure of this. He points to two positive things that have happened because of his imprisonment as an example of how God takes seemingly bad things and brings good out of them. He tells the Philippians that because of his imprisonment, and this is kind of funny, it has become known throughout the whole palace guard or praetorian guard that he is in chains because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have always found this to be such a great example of God's humor. you, you got to picture the situation. Here, Paul is probably chained 24 hours a day to a member of Nero's elite palace guard, right at the center of power in Rome. And every eight hours or so, a new guard is chained to Paul. Now, you have to remember that Paul was one of the greatest evangelists in the history of the church. So my guess is that in the course of a conversation, maybe a guard would ask, Paul, why are you here? And of course, Paul freely shares the reason that he is in prison. My guess is that some of these guards have become Christians. God bringing good out of a seemingly bad situation. The second example is that other brothers and sisters have seen Paul's example, his attitude, his life, and have become more bold in their faith because of his imprisonment. Instead of shrinking back into the background because of fear, others have become more courageous in their faith. In other words, his attitude, the work that God is doing in his life, is having an effect on others. So here is the irony The gospel is a threat to religious powers and political powers, and they have attempted to squelch it through Paul's imprisonment, through persecution. And in his sovereignty, God uses their attempts to bring about the very opposite results. God seems to take a setback and uses it to advance the gospel. Now, Paul is confident that God will continue to do good, and he points to two reasons for his confidence. He says in verse 19, For I know, or other words, I am confident that through, number one, your prayers, and two, the help given or providence given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, provision of Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Two things that will work together to make 
that bad situation in which he finds himself turn out for his deliverance. The prayers of his friends, the Philippians, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I think it's important to note here that Paul is not in denial. He's not trying to paint a rosy picture. He knows he's in a tough situation. And even more importantly, he knows that he needs the help of his friends, the prayers of his friends, to get through it. He's not independent. He points us to the importance of prayers of other people when things are tough. Boy, here's a great lesson for all of us, especially right now during this pandemic. Folks, we need others in our lives when things are tough. We need their support, we need their love, we need their encouragement, we need their guidance, we need their example. We need them carrying our burdens, sharing our burdens, but probably most of all, we need their prayers. And right now, we need others so much. So easy to get isolated during this pandemic, and I want to encourage us as a congregation to stay connected, to reach out to each other, and maybe you're doing okay, but is there somebody in your circle of friends, either inside or outside the church, that needs to know that they're not alone, that you can call and encourage? So important. I've walked with a lot of people through many difficult times in life. I've walked through my own. And almost invariably, these folks share about how the prayers of others held them up when they were weak. We need people to pray for us. So raises the question, are you in a group that meets regularly, that, that can pray for you on a regular basis? Do you have anybody in your life who can pray for you? Is your small group a praying group? Let me encourage you. If you're not in such a group or you don't have such friends, be intentional and have those relationships in your life. One of the things you'll hear me talk about, a term I talk about a lot, is 2 a.m. friends. I think as Christians, we all need 2 a.m. friends. And what I mean by that is we all need people that if something happens at 2 o'clock in the morning, we have friends that we know we can talk or call, and they'll be over right away, or they'll do anything they can do to help. Paul has those friends. So Paul is saying, I am confident that God will continue to work because of your prayers, and here's the second part that I really want to focus on, and the help of the Holy Spirit, or the provision of the Holy Spirit. Let me do a little word study here that I, uh, I think is great, and will really shed some interesting light on this verse. Earl Palmer, in his commentary on Philippians, he does a very interesting word study on this word help in this sentence. It comes from a verb that has its root, uh, a Greek, has as its root the Greek word choros, or choir, or chorus. It is a very rich word in meaning, and like so many words, it changed over time. Originally, it meant to lead a chorus, and then it kind of morphed into to pay the expenses for training a chorus. And by the time Paul wrote this, these verses, it had come to mean simply to defray the expenses of something or 
to provide or to supply in abundance. And here's the one I really want to focus on. It came to mean to choreograph. To choreograph. Of course, this is where we get our English word. It's the last meaning that I want to grab a hold of this morning because I think it gives us this marvelous picture of the work of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works uh, in relation to human prayer and divine will. You know, somehow, and folks, there's a, I admit, there's a lot of mystery in all of this. God hears human prayer. Through the Holy Spirit, he hears the prayers of the Philippians for Paul. He hears our prayers for our friends or ourselves. And he does the work of a choreographer to bring about something good. Now, think of the work of a choreographer. What does a choreographer do? Uh, you never see the choreographer. Maybe you see their name in the program, but you never see the choreographer, him or herself. They are behind the scenes, backstage. But here's what you do see. You see the result of their work. And remember last week when I talked about God completing the good work that he's begun in us, this word ergon for work. It has tangible results. It's something that you can see. And that is the work of a choreographer. You may not see what they're doing, but you see the results, right? And it's usually something beautiful and something good. And so what Paul is saying here is that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. You don't see the Holy Spirit, but you see the beauty, the magnificence of the Holy Spirit's work. Holy Spirit works behind the scenes, directing, pulling together, moving things, blending human prayers in divine will in order to bring something good out of adverse situations. Paul was able to have joy in the midst of really a very difficult situation because he knew from experience that God was at work he trusted in the work of the great choreographer. <laughs> I love that term. The great choreographer. He knew that the prayers of his friends and the work of the Holy Spirit, the great choreographer, were working together in some mysterious ways to continue God's work in Paul's life and in the lives of others. Now, let me... Let me share a personal experience to kind of bring this down to earth a bit. Um, you know, I went to UCSB for my undergraduate years, and my senior year, I uh, lived with four other guys, um, and two of them, plus one other friend that didn't live with us, so four of us in Isla Vista, which is another example of God's sense of humor, ended up becoming Presbyterian pastors. And we have been in a small group now for over 30 years. We, uh, for a while, we were all somewhat in the Bay Area. We would meet in Berkeley on 4th Street at Betty's Ocean View Diner and then take for a walk on the Berkeley waterfront and share our lives. 
share about our ministries, pray for each other, uh, walk with each other through life. A few years, number of years into our time together as a small group, one of my friends um, went through a divorce. His wife decided that she didn't want to be married to him anymore. So we walked with Mike through that experience for a number of years. We prayed for him. Every time we met, we prayed for him when we weren't meeting. We listened to him. We, we cried with him. We were a sounding board for him. And we prayed for his marriage, that God would heal their marriage. We prayed for his three kids, prayed for the church. He served as a pastor. And obviously prayed for him, that God would strengthen him as he went through this very difficult experience and still tried to lead a church. It goes without saying that this was a very difficult time. And through it all, and see, this is what's one of the things that's great about a small group. Mike was an example and still is an example to me of someone who trusts God, seeks God in all the circumstances of his life. He has always sought God in a very earnest way, sought God's will. And boy, this challenges me, still does. He's tried to be obedient to God, even when it was hard. Remember that set of questions that I talked about at the beginning of the sermon? Why me, God? Where are you? Why don't you relieve this pain? I never heard Mike use that set of questions. He may have felt it, and those are legitimate questions, but you don't want to get stuck there. The questions he asked were these. God, what are you saying to me? What are you doing in my life through this set of circumstances? How do you want to use this to further your work in my life, to mature me, to grow me, to heal me, to make me whole? How do you want to use these circumstances in the lives of others? He always saw the bigger picture, and his goal was not so much happiness. It was for God to do his good work in his life for him to be open to it and to use him in the lives of others. I remember at one point in this experience, Mike said, you know, as I pray, I feel like God wants me to remain single, to not get involved in another relationship for at least a couple of years. This was after the divorce. We then, of course, prayed for guidance and, of course, prayed for eventually another relationship. A number of years later, I was part of Mike's wedding Interesting to see the great choreographer at work. He married this wonderful woman. God worked it out. And I remember him saying very, something very insightful after their marriage. He said, Steve, you know what? So many times we push too hard. We try to take over. We push through our agenda and we end up forfeiting the blessing that God has for us you know, I have been blessed, he said, beyond my greatest hopes. You see, he trusted in the work of the great choreographer. He held things loosely like Paul and depended on Christ and his friends in the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, as I look at Mike, he is a much different person than he was many years ago. God has done an amazing work in his life. 
He's much more compassionate, much more understanding, much more loving, less judgmental. God used one of the most difficult, painful experiences in his life to perhaps do his greatest work. How does this passage speak to you today? What adversity are you facing in your life right now? What crisis? What disappointments? Do you believe that at some point, somewhere along the line, God will use that to continue the good work that he has begun in you and to use it in the lives of those around you? I want to encourage you to ask this set of questions, like Paul, like my friend Mike. What is God doing? How can God use me in this situation? How can God use this to further the work in my life? And as you do that, may God bless you deeply. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are a God who doesn't give up on us, who continues, carries on the work that you have begun, that you will use all circumstances in our lives if we're open to it, to further your work and to bring good out of a seemingly bad situation. Lord, we thank you that as Christians, our suffering is not in vain. It's not, it has some sort of purpose to it because you are the great choreographer. Lord, help us to trust in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.